This podcast is being recorded on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri and the Bunurong people of the Kulin Nations and the Kumbamere clan of the Yugambeh language group and we pay our respects to their elders past and present. We recognise that both the performance of gender and heteronormativity imported by colonisers has contributed to the genocide and colonisation of the first peoples of this land. Sovereignty was never ceded, always was, always will be, Aboriginal land. Welcome everyone to another episode of Loud, Angry and Not Sorry, where we talk about news, current events and politics from a feminist perspective. My name's Leah and with me we have... Carly! I've spent all day with my niece and like she says my name differently every time and so I don't really know how to say my own name anymore because sometimes it's like... Carly! And other times it's like, Carly! And it's just, anyway. It really doesn't take long to decondition you, does it? No, it does not. No. Just a few days of having a toddler scream my name in a variety of different ways is enough to deprogram 30 years. Amazing. (laughs) I remember when Isabel, uh, when Isabel started talking, her first word was dad and dada, Mm. which is fucking patriarchy sucks. Mm. No worries. Like, I had you in my stomach. Well, not my stomach, my womb. But, like, I, I, like, literally carried you inside of me for, like, almost 10 months. And I, like, you fed from my body. Do you want to know a linguistics thing about this that's even more frustrating? It's because dada and kaka and gaga are the first noises that children make. And across most languages, the word for dad is similar it has those noises dad 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 and so my going theory was always that um because historically we've lived in a much more normative like gender binary kind of situation so the men were fathers and they went hey what's the first noise that kid makes that must be my name i must be dad dad that's my theory <laughs> whereas a mum mum mutt doesn't come until a bit later well isabel said dad dada turtle because it's it's isabel so like it was never going to be normal like we had this a bath book that had like cat dog turtle and she was like (laughs) (laughs) like she's fucking french how did that happen anyway and then eventually she started saying mummy but the problem with that is that when she started saying mummy that was like eight years ago and she's not stopped (laughs) ever I don't know why we're talking about this. <laughs> we're, we're a bit chaotic at the best of times. Oh, so Hot mess. We got some feedback on last week's episode where we... Um, <laughs> Sorry, whenever I hear feedback, I go straight to Hannah Gatsby. <laughs> so I've got some feedback. Sorry, this was welcome feedback. <laughs> this was very welcome. It was. It was great. Um, someone is great. Yes. Is, is, was, and forever will be. I'm going to start again. We got some feedback from someone who listened to last week's episode and um, where we talked about TERFs and it was pointed out to us that as two cis women, uh, this is an area of very great privilege for us to be able to talk about um, issues to do with trans people and especially issues to do with TERFs and we didn't acknowledge that enough. We didn't um, include trans voices enough in what we were saying. I mean, we hope that it didn't come across as us speaking on behalf of people because we didn't intend to do that. But if it did impact over intent, 
and we are really sorry. Like we totally recognise that uh, the consequences for us calling Suzanne Moore a fucking piece of shit cunty turf are not the same as if it were a trans person and that trans person is the person who's being directly affected by people like Suzanne Moore. So we just wanted to acknowledge that. Yeah, and apologise for um, any harm that was caused, any discomfort that might have been caused by us not properly acknowledging this in the conversation in last week's episode. Yeah. Yeah. Also, another bit of feedback we got from our friend and listener, uh, Steph, is that um, turns out I was wrong. And, like, whereas I don't mind being told I'm wrong, I also fucking hate being wrong. Um, Turns out that TERFs didn't actually invent TERFs. It was Viv Smythe. Smythe? Smythe? S-M-Y-T-H-E. So it's an article by Viv Smythe who (laughs) – it's from, like, uh, 2018, but it's, like, I'm credited with having coined the word turf, and here's how it happened. So essentially she just wrote in a blog post, turfs, (laughs) and Mm. everyone just started using it, which is, like, yeah, pretty funny. She also used another acronym, which is really cool, TES, I think it was, T-E-S, which are Trans Exclusionary Separatists which um, Mm. I quite like, actually. Yeah, it does have a sort of militant vibe to it, which... And takes away the idea that they're clinging to, that they are somehow representing feminism. Mm -hmm. They are misogynists. It's actually been really... Especially because that meme that we put out on the Loud, Angry, Not Sorry page, we've got lots of people like engaging with that Mm. concept now, which is really great. And I quite enjoy explaining to people who are like, don't really know what a turf is going well they're reductive and they're essentialist that doesn't just hurt trans people that hurts mm. us as women as well like by reducing us to to ovaries but we're once again banging <laughs> on about turfs <laughs> which is really easy to do and we did get a bit carried away because mm. we do hate them so much and it's it is a fine line between allyship and support and advocacy and not speaking yeah. over and speaking on behalf Yes, and we're very grateful for the feedback and always open to more feedback as much as it sucks to be wrong. I'd rather be wrong once and be told and then do better than be wrong forever. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm, I'm totally happy to be told wrong all of the time. Uh, there is, like, some tension there from being, like, a loud woman and just no matter what I say, I'm wrong. Like, even when I I could recite a maths problem correctly – and some dude mm. would have a problem with how I said it. So there's that sort of that, I don't know, that cringe moment. I don't want to call it a trauma because it's not a trauma, but it's just like a, yeah. a learnt response, yeah. I guess. Yeah, tell me I'm wrong. Like I've no stress with it, but you've yes. just got to tell me why. And thanks for Steph to, for yeah. doing an amazing job of that. Excellent. So yeah. in not not excellent news, um, we just wanted to talk a little bit about something that it either happened yesterday or today Um I mean, it doesn't doesn't matter in podcast land anyway, because by the time this comes out, it'll have happened last week, maybe. I don't know how time works. Oh, takes <laughs> so... Yeah, no, it, yeah, it's that wasn't hard to edit, wasn't okay? Plus, 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 I've got to edit out, like, what's the right amount of Carly Cackle to, like, delete? <laughs> <laughs> don't suppress the cackles. They're so, they're so delightful. I... And one day I will release a track of just like your laughter throughout like all the episodes. And my different laughs. Oh, delicious. 
ASMR. People are falling asleep to my cackles. Oh, the dreams you would have. Um, (laughs) Anyway, the news. So so Craig McLaughlin was found uh, not guilty of some assault charges that were leveled against him. But what a lot of the interesting conversation has been around is uh, the magistrate's comments about Craig McLaughlin, but also the complainants in the trial um, because she is quoted as having said that Craig McLaughlin is egotistical and self-entitled and that she believes that he perceived consent, but she doesn't explicitly say that she believes consent was there. She also says that she believes the four complainants were brave and honest witnesses and she found them to be credible and she was not at any point persuaded that the four complainants were doing this for career ambition or for any such reason because back when these accusations first came out, that was something Craig McLaughlin said, that the reason they were doing it was for fame or money and um, the magistrate has said, no, that is not something that I perceived to be the case throughout this trial court case. Sorry, I don't know the legal lingo. And the magistrate also said, and I quote, the laws have since changed, but do not apply retroactively. The law on consent has been replaced with a more objective test. Where the current laws applicable, it is possible the result may have been different. So I'm not accusing anyone of anything because there are also some defamation suits flying around. But (laughs) There is obviously a really interesting conversation going on here where this magistrate has found in his favour but is also saying that what she actually thinks about this situation and what the law dictates are two different things. And that's something we've all been saying for a really long time. It is a bloody big deal to have the magistrate say these things. Unfortunately, I hate that it is. And... Honestly, the images of him coming out of the courtroom looking so smug were heartbreaking for these complainants. The fact that, um, I mean, this is from Channel 9, so grain of salt, but it's being reported that he might come back with some defamation suits against a few different media organisations and possibly at least one of the complainants, which is heartbreaking again. Yeah. It really pisses me off that, I mean, I know, shocked, I'm annoyed, but like, we, so when Pell had his conviction squashed in uh, in April, like there was talk of him actually um, filing for mm. compensation. And then McLaughlin has the opportunity now to, to further penalise these women who have, you know, done a real, it's really hard, it's really hard to come out in court and make your, cl- your case especially against someone who is famous, has a public profile, and in this current culture where victim survivors mm-hmm. are just not believed. And, I mean, I know that the culture is changing and it's there is a shift happening. You can see by the magistrate's comments that there's a shift. But the fact that he's now going to file for defamation because he is an entitled cunt, mm. like it's going to happen. And it's I think it's just a really important reminder that – The legal system being found not guilty doesn't mean you didn't do it. It means under the way that the laws have been defined, you can't be found guilty of doing it. And that's also what the magistrate said Mm. with that comment about consent laws. Like, it's not that it didn't happen. Mm. 
necessarily. We don't, I mean, I'm, I'm not accusing anyone of anything once again, but we have to remember that laws are created to support certain people in our society. You know what? You know what? He did it. They said he did it. He did it. I don't give a fuck. I'm so sick of these defamation laws. I'm so sick of having to hide behind like maybes and could'ves and softening the blows for perpetrators of abuse. He did it. Sue me. I don't give a fuck. I don't care anymore. I'm done. And this seems to have been made into a situation that's less about what he did and whether or not he did the things he's accused of and more about whether or not he perceived that there was consent involved. Mm. I don't even think he even thought about consent. He wouldn't have even worried about it. It wouldn't have occurred to him. It made me feel sick because I went and saw that. I went and saw Rocky Horror with him in it um, because it's one of my favourite musicals. And reading some of the accounts from the complainants, like it was stuff that was happening on stage in front of audiences. Oh, the pain it must have caused them. And then this idea that they're doing it for fame or clout when in actuality this is the kind of thing that might make them unemployable. Yeah, it ruins careers. Mira Suvari, who talked about how she didn't, when Harvey Weinstein came onto her, she said no, and then her career tanked. And people have, I'm pretty sure, people have come out and admitted that they were told not to hire her after she wouldn't have sex with Harvey Weinstein. Gross. That's fucked. That is so fucked. The hell people put themselves through to try and bring this stuff through the justice system. On on top of, like, so you've got the abuse, and especially mm. a, that's a public abuse. Like, that's a, I thought they had a, her consent. That's a, we're on stage performing. How on earth? That's an obvious mm. egotistical power. I think, I think, like you said, in a lot of these situations, and, I mean, this is true of a lot of situations of... Um, sexual assault and sexual harassment in general, we've socialised men in our society into thinking that they have, especially cis straight men, into thinking that they have entitlement to other people's bodies. They do understand consent to an extent, but their entitlement can often overpower that. I think mm. I think this goes beyond that. I think this, like, that's, you know, sure, if we're at a party and you're trying to coerce someone into sleeping with you, but this is like public acts of indecency. This is this is mm. like narcissistic shit. This is power. But like this is this this is so much more than just oh society thinks it's okay. This is very clearly entitlement, and it, it like to to the the largest extent. Mm. I mean, absolutely, un- it underpins why people accept his behaviour. But I do think that this is this goes a lot further than just like. Well, men have been conditioned to, you know, boys will be boys sort of thing. Like, this goes so much further than The that. magistrate's comment about him being egotistical is really reflected in his claim that four women came forward from this production that he was in and all said that they had these experiences mm. with him. Craig McLaughlin thinks he's so relevant that this is going to make those four women famous. <laughs> like... <laughs> I feel like what (laughs) other than seeing him in Rocky Horror, was he married to Kylie Minogue or was that only in Neighbours? 
No, that was Jason. See? So relevant. Wasn't that someone else? He was also in another show where he played uh, a really narcissistic boss. Oh, like pretty much this character. Mm, yeah, I wonder where that inspiration came from. Interesting. <sighs> anyway, is there anything else in the news? I don't want to talk about this cunt anymore. I worry sometimes that we we focus too much on the negative stuff in the media, but then there's also no positive stuff in the media. I don't know. There must be something positive that happened this week. I mean, to be honest, the yeah. magistrate's response to this was pretty positive. I, I think the more people that are talking about the flaws within the legal system, the better, and particularly mm-hmm. when it's coming from inside the house. Oh, because that was the other important thing that the magistrate said was that the magistrate called out McLaughlin's uh, attorney lawyer. Again, I'm sorry, I don't know the terminology. Um, Not a lawyer. using victim blaming. Yes. Nice. In his in the way that this lawyer questioned the women um he yeah I, I don't know what exactly the questions were but the magistrate was like it was completely out of line for you to use a line of questioning like that that's sweet yeah that's so great yeah no i feel like this magistrate whose name i have <laughs> at the swipe of my thumb justice belinda wallington she's the good news story out of this dark moment yeah and it's funny, as soon as I said that, I was like, I kind of regret saying anyone is a good news story because, like, next we'll find out that she did something terrible. But <laughs> She's actually for a now, <laughs> she did one great thing. So we will appreciate the one good thing. Yeah. Great thing. And it, it is, I mean, I know we live in echo chambers online, but at the same time, her making those comments means that everything that I saw about this court case was about the magistrate's words. And as I said, I live in an echo chamber bubble where I'm only getting um, mostly very feminist views on things. But without her words, that would have been us fighting loud and trying to put our own words into why this was messed up and having it come from the magistrate just takes a little bit of the pressure off but also gives you kind of the inspiration and the push to be like, yeah, no, this is really fucked and you've given us the words to say why. Mm. And speaking of positive things happening within the legal system, uh, I spoke with Peaches from Vixen Collective about the work that they do but also about uh, the full decriminalisation laws that are being reviewed in Victoria. Let's go to the interview. And with me, we have Peaches from Vixen Collective. Hello. Hi. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. Um, so tell me more about Vixen Collective. Yeah, so um, Vixen Collective is Victoria's peer-only sex worker organisation. Um, so that means that we are an organisation um, that is run by sex workers for sex workers. And we do lots of stuff like peer support and peer education we do a lot of advocacy work and media and yeah. yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yes, that's incredible. So full decriminalization of sex work is something that's been in the media for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you tell me a bit, a little bit more about full decrim? Decriminalization is something is a kind of um, very hotly contested term, <laughs> um, but it actually means thing and that is the removal of of all criminal laws mm-hmm. um, relating to sex work 
So that doesn't mean that the industry is necessarily like unregulated. It just means that the industry is in regulated in the same way that other industries are. So we fall under the same sort of criminal and, um, and OHS laws and all that sort of thing as, as you would have in any other industry. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's necessary because criminalization of sex work in any form mm. is, is the source of so much violence against sex workers. Yeah. Um, and it is a source of stigma and, and discrimination. And it is inherently discriminatory. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But Peaches, isn't sex work legal? Funny you ask that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. Um, so there's a lot of confusion about what the laws are in Victoria. And um, it's pretty fair that that's confusing because the the legislation, uh, the sex work legislation is actually like profoundly, needlessly confusing and complex. How unlike um, the legal system. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Um, so basically what we have in Victoria is what's called a licensing system. And so what this means is that if you're going to do sex work, you have to have a license. It sounds simple enough, but basically what they do is they make it so um, either um, expensive or there are really like hectic um, restrictions on, on who can have a license and how you can get approval for one, um, that it makes, um, you know, in practice, um, some of the kinds of licenses that you need are impossible to get. Um, and also, um, you know, people don't want to have, um, to have their details registered yeah. with the state saying that they are, um, that they are a sex worker. And these, you know, if you want to do, so basically if you want to do private sex work in Victoria, for example, if you want to be an escort, mm-hmm. um, in order to work compliantly, you would have to register your legal details with the state and register as a sex worker. Mm-hmm. Um, that record never goes away. Yeah. So that stays there forever. Yeah. Now that, and if you have that, that enables you to legally, you can go to a client's house or hotel room and see them there. You're still not allowed to see them in your own home or, you know, your own hotel room. So weird. <laughs> it is really weird. You can get a license to do that. So you can get a license to run what we call an in-call. Um, but you are classed as a brothel. So you have to, in order to get that license, you have to get approval from your landlord and then you have to get approval from um, the local councillor and comply with their zoning regulations, which is just like, it is in practice impossible. And bear in mind also that in Victoria, it is actually legal to discriminate against sex workers um, in housing. So, fucking fuckers. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. So, um, so if your landlord finds out that you're a sex worker, you can get kicked out of your house on that basis, and that's completely that's above board. Oh, for fuck's sake. Um. So, yeah. So that's kind of what we're. That's a small snippet of some of the nonsense that we're sort of trying to get to get rid of. I mean, you've also got, um, like street based sex work is just completely criminalized. Yeah. Um, which has worked really well because we don't see any street-based sex work. 
I mean, it's fun. Like street-based sex work is often is actually a much smaller part of the industry than people think, mm. and that's largely because you know things have things have just moved online, and you yeah. know it's just more about the sort of changing nature of the of the industry than mm. anything else. But you know, people still do um, street-based work, and um, to my mind, have every bloody right to. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Because really, what we're you know what we're fighting for here is for the the rights of workers to um, to say to be able to dictate when, where, how yeah. they work. You yeah. know, um, just like anyone, just like anyone else. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, so we've mentioned full decrim, mm-hmm. but there's also like the Nordic model and other criminalisation models. Yeah. Would you mind just running quickly through those? Just yes. like. Off, off the top of your hat. Yeah. Off so the top of your hat. I don't know. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah. So there's also the full criminalisation of sex work. So that's like what we see in South Australia. So no, there is no sex work permitted there. There's no licensing system or anything like that. They've also got really crappy abortion laws as well. So well, there you well go. done, well South, done Australia. South Australia. What is Good it? They call Adelaide the city of churches. Yeah, <laughs> no, no coincidence. <laughs> Um, so yeah, then they've got, um, the, so this is sometimes called the Nordic model, um, the Swedish model, oh, yeah. uh, asymmetrical decriminalization. Um, <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> what dickhead came up with that? Oh, mate. So... <laughs> This is a thing that they've started doing because what they found was that sex workers didn't respond well to the Swedish model or the Nordic model because, you know, it's, um, it kind of fucks up our work. Yeah. And, and so the solution to that would be. So they did a (laughs) rebrand. Yeah, because they literally, they do brothel outreach and they like, they'll come into, because they're all, you know, all the aunties are funded to do all this sort of thing. Yeah. And they come into the brothel and when they're like, well, you know, we support the Swedish model, everyone's like, well, get the fuck out. You know, yeah. no one wants to talk to them. So they come in, oh no, we do support decriminalization, decriminalization of, club of workers, not clients, blah. But, um, <laughs> so they're having to like, which I think really says so much that they have to sort of like trick us into engaging with them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but they think that um, we're like it's all false consciousness, mm. you know, and we're just sort of like cockstruck or something. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, so basically that um, with that model it is the criminalisation of, um, well, in theory, it's the <laughs> criminalisation of clients, yeah. not workers. Yeah. And so in this way they aim to end demand for – sex work um which is cute really (laughs) (laughs) it's cute um but you know it what we've found is that it um it doesn't actually work surprise surprise and that um we've seen you know in places like france and ireland where these laws have been brought in is that it's actually led to really massive increases um in violence against sex workers yeah um, because essentially what it means is that when we, you know, when we don't have the capacity to, you know, when clients are afraid that, that a worker could potentially be a cop, yeah. is that they're not going to, they're not going to spend time having those conversations around, 
what services do you provide and blah, 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 blah. And that conversation becomes very coded as well. Mm. The places that you do sex work, you have to be much more um, like secretive. Um, And so, and it essentially forces the industry um, underground yeah, and, you know, cuts, cuts workers off from services and all this sort of thing. So um, it's profoundly damaging. Yeah. Um, So yeah, they're kind of the, the other two um, that are not great. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Swerfs, the sex worker exclusionary radical feminists. Yeah. Fuckheads instead of feminists. Yeah. My mind boggles when they go on about like supporting workers' rights. Mm. Like, you know, oh, join your union and all. Like, if you can have one. Yeah. Like, how can you possibly (laughs) support workers' rights without supporting the full decriminalization of sex work? It makes no sense. You're a misogynist. Yeah. I read a great article recently that was like um, referred to them as red-brown feminists, and I really liked that framing of it. So red as in um, as in like communist yeah, and brown as in like brown, brown shirts, shirts, like fascist. And I was like, well, you know, if, are, if, the shirt, <laughs> if the shirt fits. Um, <laughs> That's so funny. Um, yeah, because it's that kind of like authoritarianism that's mm-hmm. sort of um, sort of central to their ideology, and that they really um, have like a, a raging hard on for like cops and, mm. and prisons and all that sort of thing, which is something that like the mind really boggles. I'm like, you know, because they'll say like, "Oh, we're anti-police and anti-prisons and blah blah blah," and it's like they're just anti those things under capitalism, but yeah. like under the you know hypothetical like revolutionary uh utopia um is that you know the cops and prisons there will be fine though you know they'll be okay Um, if they just do it just for these people yeah yeah um which is that's a a strange ideology to me but yes yeah Yeah, they really are so more recently there has been a review into sex work and full decriminalization can you tell me a little bit about that yeah so they announced um, they announced that last year that the Andrews government in Victoria would be leading a review into the decriminalisation of sex work in Victoria. Mm-hmm. Um, so that review was chaired by Fiona Patton of the Reason Party, and <laughs> it's a closed review. So they have consulted with sex workers and presumably brothel owners and all that sort of thing and, mm. um, and different health orgs and, and whatever. Mm. So Vixen Collective and Scarlet Alliance led um, a sex worker consultation. We spoke with over 160 um, Victorian sex workers. Um, we had oral consultations um, over Zoom mm. and we had um, a survey. We had workshops um, to help sex workers to write their own personal submissions. And so we put all of that into a whopping big document um, cool. and sent that off to them to have a look at. Um, so Fiona has now made her recommendations from that review um she's made her recommendations to um the minister for consumer affairs um melissa horn <laughs> so weird it is weird <laughs> but that's fine yeah yeah so melissa horn is now um is now considering those recommendations um and hopefully we will have some news um on what the government plans to do in the new year 
Um, yeah. I mean, I suppose for us, the whole, you know, the whole idea of a review into the decriminalization of sex work to figure out how they're going to do decrim is kind of, you know, the, the government line is that it's not, um, it's not a question of whether or not there will be decrim. Mm. It's a question of how. Yeah. Now, Vixen Collective's policy on this is quite clear. Yeah. Is that there is only one definition Correct. of decrim that yeah. it's not you know, it's not really up for debate. Yeah. Either you remove all the criminal laws or you don't. Yes. So. Otherwise yeah. it's not decrim. Otherwise it's not decrim. So I'm. Uh, even if it's asymmetrical. <laughs> even if it's asymmetrical. It's got a, a jaunty bob and it's still not <laughs> decrim. Exactly. Yeah. So fingers crossed. Yeah. Um, but we'll keep, yeah, we'll keep annoying everyone as we, as Perfect. we do, you know. Perfect. So. <laughs> All right, so last year I joined Vixen out the front of Project Respect or Project Disrespect Ah, Mm -hmm. um, at their annual general meeting. There seems to be a few organisations like that 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 appear to be supporting sex workers, but actually they are kind of undermining sex workers. Mm. Uh, Did you want to talk about that quickly? Yeah. Or at length if you want. (laughs) I'm not your mum. (laughs) Great. Well... Um, yeah, I mean, there is this, like, particular breed of, like, bougie white feminist um, who sort of think that they know what is best for um, for poor women. Um, and it's, once again, you know, it's cute. Um, bless. <laughs> bless them. Um, they really do. They do try. Gorgeous. <laughs> yes. Oh, God, they're awful. <laughs> yeah, um, sorry. <laughs> But yeah, so they, um, they run their little anti-trafficking orgs and all that sort of thing. They believe that all sex work is inherently violent. All sex work is paid rape. That you, that, um, the exchange of money doesn't equal consent, but we would agree with that. Um, but also they take it a bit further and are like the exchange of money actually negates any consent. So, um, and yeah, so they tend to um, waste a lot of time and energy trying to stop us all um, getting paid for pussy. So it's um, yeah. I just like get a hobby. Yeah, like like if you actually cared about the rights of sex workers, you would be fighting for full decrim. So that you could have safer work environments, mm-hmm. you, could, you know, get policies in place to, to support you. And, mm. you know, you could have vetting processes for, for clients and it would actually be safe. Mm-hmm. I think you just have to keep a sense of humour about it. One of the funniest things I looked up, I was Googling something the other week and there's um, Nordic, the group Nordic Model Now. And um, I was like, oh, I want to see what's their, what do they think a prostituted woman looks like? Because that's what they call us, prostituted women. <laughs> um, I'm like, I prostituted myself, thank you very much. <laughs> and they they had just had an image of like a mannequin, like a pair of legs in an alleyway with some rubbish bags. And it was like that was sort of to depict. And I was like, that that's just very sexist though, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Objectifying. <laughs> 
But it's quite it's it's really funny how like they are misogynists. Like yeah, they're actually yeah. deeply misogynistic. And so much of what they say, I'm like, if my clients spoke to me like that, like I would slap them across the face yeah. and send them packing. Like, and take their money. I would oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean at least the the clients pay us. Yes. <laughs> I mean, there's a literal book called Industrial Vagina. They call us, you know, pieces of meat and cum receptacles and, you know, it's just... And I'm like, that, that, yeah, that's actually that's actually quite misogynistic. But, yeah, you know, absolutely. But quite, and they're also profoundly racist. Cool. Like, really, really racist. Douchey white middle-class women. I, yeah. Deeply racist. Yeah, fact, wow. Yeah. yeah. Misogynistic and racist. That internalized misogyny must, mm. like, that must cause some headaches, though. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. But, you know, and then there's that, you know, just the the, the classism as well. Mm. So it's a holy trinity, really. Yeah. Yeah. Bless them. Mm. All in Adelaide. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Um, on that positive note. Yes. <laughs> right, well, stay tuned for more stuff about uh, full decrim, and hopefully it is full decrim, not full decrim light. Yes. Or asymmetrical, <laughs> or semicircle, or any other bullshit or the, or version. The, the equality model, that's oh, another name for it. The equality model. Yes, the equality model, yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. Thank you, Peaches. That was fantastic. Yeah, so knowledgeable, covered so many important things in such a short amount of time, yeah. particularly using the voices of sex workers to influence the way that the government is thinking about changing laws in Victoria. That was, uh, yeah, really interesting discussion. Fingers crossed that things go the way we all hope they're going. Yeah, there's a bit of a question mark around Fiona Patton, so we'll just... We'll just mm. wait and see on that. But hopefully they listen to – hopefully they take into account Vixen Collective's recommendations that there is only one version of full decriminalisation. There's no jaunty Bob version. Like, it's just full decrim, nothing else. Yeah. I just – yeah. It, it's so wild that they just – they keep coming up with different names for, like, decrim light and for criminalisation models. Like, it's just – and it, it just is constantly comes back to – predominantly white women trying to tell other women what's best for them that Mm. sort of i suppose it's paternalism i guess that really stems from colonization i think it's important to remember that especially in this country feminism only exists because patriarchy and colonization exists if it wasn't for colonization we wouldn't need feminism so Mm -hmm. no matter what we do like i i something that i'm really conscious of is the fact that we keep centering men in our conversations and we can't seem to figure out a way to move away from it. And we, we do it constantly. Like when we're talking about Craig McLaughlin, we're, we're talking about what a mm. cunt he is, but we're never like, we, we did touch on it, but like we, we need to focus more on is our community okay? Is our, is our community safe? Mm. Which we don't do a great job of. We need to figure out how to deal with that as a community and deal with that trauma while also supporting and empowering our community and making sure that we're all looked after yeah it's a totally valid response i don't want to tone police people but it's just it's not but it's and and we are so angry Mm. and it's really difficult to try and center victim survivors especially when we consider there's there's always been feminists it was around i think the late 1800s that the term feminism was coined and i think it was in france but i can't remember off the top of my head But essentially it's like, you know, people advocating for equality and for autonomy and voters' rights and things like this, like the major platforms for the first wave of feminism. But people have been doing this for centuries. It's just that we don't talk about it like that. We talk about those people as witches or hags or spinsters. We don't talk about them as feminism because they've not been written 
in a heroic light. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I mm-hmm. and it wasn't really until I read Gerda Lerner's books that I was just like, oh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Because it's like, the, you know, women have always been working, not always, but women have been working in academics. Women have been doing scientific research and discoveries for centuries. But it's just we don't get acknowledged for that shit. It's very frustrating. Um, and that, that phrase, mm-hmm. well-behaved women seldom make history, pisses me off so much. And I do understand, like, its intent and what it means, and you know, like, cause a ruckus, go and get amongst it. But the thing is, is that the reason why women haven't made history has had nothing to do with our behaviour. Like, regardless mm-hmm. of how we act or how we don't act, the history that is written about us is dominated by men and it's been written by men and it's been maintained by men. That's why women... Yep. I need to fact check this before this podcast goes to air, but um, I was watching a TikTok today that was talking about, uh, I know, right? Is TikTok this is how I learned. I left. <laughs> it is. And someone was talking, but I also believe this because I know enough about the literature world and the academic world uh, that F. Scott Fitzgerald, who wrote The Great Gax- Gaxby, Gatsby, <laughs> which is an awful book. Don't read it apparently like plagiarized his wife a lot and like gaslit her and like basically had her institutionalized and it's that kind of thing of of men taking ownership of women yes yeah and silencing women the reason like i said the reason that i do believe that is can't remember if i've said this on the podcast before but a movement a few years ago where someone went through a bunch of old phd theses looked at the acknowledgements and found that men were saying thank you to my wife who wrote 45 drafts of this for me she wrote your thesis mate when you write out a draft you are like inserting your own thoughts and understandings into it while also like interpreting the words of someone else that thesis belongs to two people. That title belongs to two people. Arguably, I need more proof from him that he actually did something <laughs> in those situations. Yes. And so there is a strong history of this happening with husbands. Mm. Was it Ros- Rosalind Franklin, for example? Marie Curie, how long did it take her to get recognition? Mm. Uh, Hedy Lamarr with, the, with Wi-Fi? Well, it wasn't called Wi-Fi initially. It was the basis of Wi-Fi. She did, designed uh, the system that... Uh, what's it called? Like just a signal thing. I don't know. I'm not very science. But she designed this thing that did a, some stuff and she took it to the government and she's like, hey, what about this? They, <laughs> they said, nah, that's crap. They just, they, they had the patent there and they're just like, it's worthless. And the man that Hedy Lamar was working with was just like, I quit. I'm over it. She kept doing her stuff. Then I, I think after the patent had expired, the, the Navy or the Army or the, I think it was the, I think it was the, what's the one that on Navy. the water? <laughs> the Navy. I just kept going sea life, mm. sea lions. Yes. <laughs> anyway, so the Navy were like, "Oh no, this looks this looks really sweet. We're going to use this." And uh, guess what? They didn't pay her a cent. Of course, for it. yeah. Cool. Mm. cool, 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 cool. No worries. Uh yeah. Long history of men taking credit yeah. for women's work, and like even like even like me when I say random shit. To my friends, and then like two minutes later, you turn around and they're saying the same thing as if they came up with it, which is like cool because it means that you're controlling the narrative, and that might not even be a mm. conscious thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think sometimes people just absorb information and then just espouse it, mm. and that's fine. 
But it's just it's just really interesting that I don't know. I mean that's that's how ideas change in community, so that's totally fine. But it's just it's really interesting when you see something that you know that other people aren't having this conversation and then you mention something and then all of a sudden there's a heap of men mm-hmm. <laughs> with very similar ideas to yours and you're just like, Okay, all right, no, like and it's okay, it's totally fine. It's good, actually. I would like could men please like take all of my ideas and yeah. just do them. Could, could a man with all of his privileges just set up Feminist United for me and get it running <laughs> as a business so that, like, women ha- women and gender diverse and trans people have a safe yeah. space to go? Problem with that is if a cis man runs it, it won't be a safe place for <laughs> trans and gender diverse people to go. But, like, yeah. do you know what I mean? And like, also when, when they do, like, this has happened to me too where I've explained something to a cis man friend and then a week or two later he's come back and attempted to teach me the thing that I just taught him and I'm always like yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> sweetie thank you so much uh, but this was my idea and I actually taught it to you yeah so <laughs> sit down you're gonna learn some more good we're up to the next <laughs> lesson wonderful you've done your homework <laughs> good job uh yeah mansplaining (laughs) it's wild i don't know like i feel but the problem the problem with mansplaining though is that the men who are worried about doing it are never the ones who do it Mm. it's like oh my god a good friend of mine i posted on twitter it's like 9 30 a.m and men Mm. annoying me already and I was having a conversation with a group of friends about something. One of the one of the cis men was like, oh, my God, Leah, are we annoying you? And I'm just like, oh, my God, that has nothing to mm. do with you. It is not about you. And I like I felt awful and I think he felt awful as well. But it's like the men who worry about men are trash and kill all men and fucking hell you're mansplaining. The men that actually pick that up and look at it and go, oh, shit, am I doing this? Are never the problem. <laughs> Which is so yeah, annoying. but it's probably because they're picking it up and looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. No, no absolutely. But you just, like, because they're aware yeah. and they're conscious. Like, I totally get that. But you just wish that, like, the 95% of other men had that same level yeah. of consciousness. It's very yes. frustrating. Um, I did want to touch ever so quickly on, like, the waves mm-hmm. of feminism. I, I don't think they're real. I think they're a neoliberal mm-hmm. con job. Uh, the waves of feminism, essentially. They're very Eurocentric and they're very white and arguably haven't actually achieved the things that they said mm-hmm. that they've achieved, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Like the, there's the first wave we were talking about earlier with suffrage and, and voting rights. So women have got the right to vote. Well, white women had the right to vote, but <laughs> who for? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like there's with, – with legends like Maurice Payne and Michaelia Cash, who's a senator now, <laughs> you know, like – staunch femos like tony abbott mm, at, mm-hmm. at the helm almost no point in women having the vote i mean obviously there is because they've had to pander mm. to us which is why these other things that have happened so the second wave between the 60s 60s and 80s they focused on equal i'm going to paraphrase these wild but equality and discrimination the contraceptive pill mm-hmm. abortion rights bodily autonomy that kind of stuff sort of came in a bit but a lot of this and the second wave is heavily criticized for being very white they're it's all white but like upper mm. middle class sort of bougie housewives who had time to sit around and read books and be intellectuals and that kind of stuff like it's a um, a super middle class upper middle class kind of movement like even like the suffragettes like our, what was, is it mary mm. poppins mm-hmm. 
where the the mummy Mary Poppins is, mm. is a suffragette. Oh, George. <laughs> like that yeah. shit. Do you know what I mean? When I think of suffragettes, that's who I think yeah. of. Just, you know, and they've always got an umbrella for some reason. <laughs> I don't know. So, the, And the third wave, which was like from the 90s, which is like, I don't know, I've just written down some notes like reclaim and redefine ideas, words and media, the push stereotypes, body and beauty standards, which again, like that, that hasn't mm. happened. <laughs> like it hasn't happened at all. Like burning your bra does fuck all. Like mm. it's not a thing. And then you move on to what people are calling the the fourth wave, which is like from around 2012, I think they said. Also, just before I do that, third wave has also got some pretty swerf, sex worker, exclusion, radical feminist roots to it, uh, which is, I think, where we get a lot of the swerfy ideology from now, especially from the older feminists who would like destroy porn Mm. shops and things like that. Look, and, and I do, and this is the thing, is that if you want to oppose a movement, you need to understand the motivation for their behaviour. And I do understand why a lot of people oppose porn and the mm. porn industry. Totally get it. It can be quite abusive. It can be a very toxic environment. Like, just look up what happened to Mia Khalifa, for example. But attacking sex workers and people who work in porn, they are sex workers, that doesn't actually solve no. the problem because the workers aren't the problem. And especially because, like, the whole thing with the industry of sex work is that there are elements of it that are run by sex workers and they're, like, functioning really well and they're empowering. And then there are the s- sections where we have the things that we need to be worried about and we need to be fighting for. But the swerfy arguments kind of blanket the whole industry as being a problem rather than going let's look at the things that are problems like sex trafficking how is that a problem not every sex worker is a victim of sex trafficking and not every sex worker is there because they don't have a choice or because they've been coerced into it and we need to stop painting those pictures and like uh, Peach has said in the interview it's like any job we need to make sure people have rights. Yeah. Mm. And they're safe at work. Not everyone wants to be a cleaner mm. or a cook or a nurse or a doctor. That doesn't mean that we, like, make those jobs no. illegal. Or break in and try and save them from those jobs. Oh, fucking hell. Yeah, so moving on to, I don't know, some people say that we're in mm. a fourth wave. Some people say that there is no fourth wave, that the waves are... Um, are just Eurocentric and ridiculous and they've been ineffective in the past. So why should we keep referring to them as waves? So um, I like personally, I don't call myself a fourth wave feminist. I call myself a pro intersectional feminist. Although I don't know because like they, um, when I was, we were having a conversation like as a community and we we're talking about intersectional feminism and what to call ourselves as feminists and I was just like, well, I'm white and I'm cis and I'm able-bodied and blah. Like, am I intersectional feminist or am I not? And they're just like, oh, well, like, you know, we encourage people who aren't affected by sort of structures of oppression to call themselves pro-intersectional feminists in the same way that I am like, if you're a cis man, you mm-hmm. can't be a feminist. Like, please don't. That's that's weird. Even though, and this, I've got to say this as well, like there are people who say men can totally call themselves feminists. It doesn't actually matter. I don't really care that much. This is just my personal opinion, et cetera. It's fine. Um, I'm just wondering if I am an intersectional feminist considering the fact that I'm fucking blind and queer. 
Well, yeah, I was going to say I, w- what are the intersections? Because as a yeah. queer fat woman, obviously this is a theory by a black woman that was um, particularly stemming from, we should say, Kimberly Crenshaw is the person who coined... Yeah, Dr. Yes, Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw. Sorry, Dr. Yes, Kimberly after Crenshaw. everyone, or that horrible article about Dr. Jill Biden, we would definitely use titles. <laughs> Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw uh, coined intersectional feminism and it comes from critical race theory. So I acknowledge that race is one of the key components of intersectionality and I'm more than willing to be told that I can't be an intersectional feminist as a white woman. That's totally fine. Yeah, I just didn't know that before. So that's interesting and something that I'm going to do some reading on. Yeah, no, I will do some more reading on that as well because I just kind of went, well... I don't know. I still, even though I'm legally blind, um, I with my contact lenses I can see. So I have like a, a visual aid, whatever. So that's which means that I can see. But if I didn't have the cheeky grand to buy my contact lenses, mm. I would not be able to see. <laughs> like, so it's kind of one of those things where, um, yes, I have a disability, but because I also have resources and access to funds and access to one of Australia's best optometrists, I am fine mostly. I mean, I can't see for shit, but, like, to be honest, it that's – you don't want to do, like, the scoreboard of, like, most to least no. disabled. Like, that's it's a bit shit. <laughs> um, but, it, like, I can't drive. And I, I also think that your – it affects you – like, I've seen the way it can affect you. When you get tired and when you're stressed – I've seen the impact it can have on you. And my eyes fall out. Yeah. And I scratch my face to death. I claw at my eyes like like you'd expect a vulture to like claw it like an at a at a carcass. Like I'm just like I, it looks like I'm actually about to pull my eyeballs out. But that's just me yeah, you know, just getting comfy. <laughs> Uh, so I actually did a bit of research into the fourth wave. I think it would be two years ago now. And I tried really hard to find some academic sources talking about the fourth wave because of something I was studying at the time. And at the time, there were none. There might be some now, but basically uh, from the information I could gather together, one of the key components of the fourth wave is uh, Web 2.0, which is social media. And a defining feature of the fourth wave is its presence on social media and the way it's being spread and talked about, which I kind of think ties in a bit to like, uh, what's it called? It's not corporate feminism, but it's like the capital, you know, when like you buy a shirt that says feminist and then it turns out that the person who owns the shirt company is like a chauvinistic pig. Uh, Yeah. Like all that kind of like the really capitalist feminist stuff feels very fourth wave to me. Yes and no. I do ever so – I think that's just capitalism finding a trend. I don't think that's necessarily mm. inherently feminism. I would say uh, things like the Me Too yes. movement. Oh, yeah, I should be clear. Wave. I don't think those things uh, are feminism, as in what feminism actually is, but it's like one of the things that – I don't know. When we were all finding ourselves, we used to wear a lot of T-shirts that said feminist and, like, we. well, I did. I was <laughs> did the we? age. <laughs> When I was your when I was your age, back in the good old days, calling myself a feminist was a slur. Like I was mocked and just, you know, don't you shave your armpits? And I'm like, no, I don't. But like, 
like I used to get so much shit. I was called a lesbian and just like ridiculed. I don't think I was actually ever physically assaulted, but it was like literally like I'd be walking down the street and someone would just yell out like rug muncher or something like that. I remember this one girl who was like, she was really laying into me and I was just, I was waiting for my mum and I had to stay there. And like, this is how old I was. I didn't have the autonomy to actually just get up and leave because I was just like, Mm. I didn't want to get in trouble from my mum. Do you know what I mean? And she was just laying into me, calling me a a rug muncher and disgusting and like you know like just lots of like sort of gay things and I was just and I'm trying to ignore her I'm trying to ignore her I just turned around and said to her I'm just like I don't know what your problem is even if I were gay which I mean I was but I didn't realize it at the time even if I were gay you would be the last person on earth I'd be interested in I think maybe this person might have had some internalized homophobic like some internalized gay shit going on because yep. she started crying but that's also straight girls do that when they like find out you're queer and then you're like oh but like i am not interested in you, in you at all they're always like but why don't you like me i'm like you're you are painfully person. straight and that's not my type <laughs> well i didn't yeah. i didn't have a type like i had boyfriends like it was weird and strange it was very strange anyway fourth wave for me like and this is me like reading actual books and stuff not about fourth wave what we're talking about now in fourth waves of feminism with intersectionality race class power that kind of stuff is stuff that black women have been talking about since like 70s 60s sojourner mm, truth times mm-hmm. like do you know what i mean like the things that we're talking about now as like inverted commas mm. fourth wave of feminism is no. not new it's only now mm. white people are talking about it so suddenly it gets a wave yeah i just i feel like we've decided we've called it a fourth wave and said that we've made progress white women mm. have just started listening to black women and people of co- people of color and indigenous yeah. people that's what's happening now the 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 centering um indigenous voices and the the decolonization of feminism is something that black and indigenous people have been saying Mm. forever and the fact that we are just listening now doesn't mean it's a new movement does that make sense yep yeah so and that's another reason why i'm not a massive (laughs) fan not a massive fan of these fucking waves of feminism because they do center white voices even when they're talking about decolonization and you know black lives matter and stuff we're still we can't help ourselves and we're even doing it now i'm talking on behalf of black people so i'm gonna stop we'll we'll get someone on who's got a bit more experience Mm. lived experience and knowledge that we couldn't possibly have as white people because no matter how Mm. many books i read and, I, you know, I've, I've read one or two. No matter how many TED Talks I listen to or journal articles or newspaper or whatever, like, mm. I will never have that lived experience. And I don't – and I'm pretty sure that, that black people don't want us to have that lived experience. Like, they're not saying, like, I'm a bad person because I'm born white. I think yeah. all they want us to do is shut up. Yeah. So I'm going to shut uh, up. I think another thing that you touched on earlier – with the waves a reason that we have classified them that way is because it feeds into the dominant patriarchal narrative that like something was achieved and therefore like the feminism (laughs) needed to stop so uh this is a big thing in this goes under a lot of names but uh when i was looking back over some notes from previous research that i did i decided on post-feminism and i decided to have faith in myself and decide that i did enough research to call it post-feminism because i'm sure i did and it's this idea that (laughs) i know i have so much imposter syndrome that i have to be like i spent like a literal year researching this 
I'm gonna believe in myself instead of just believing in myself. But anyway, post-feminism is the idea that we are past the need for feminism. Like, everything's been achieved that needs to be achieved. Like, it's not antagonistically against feminism. It's more just, like, feminism's pointless. The concept of waves feeds into that because it's like, you got the right to vote, why are you still complaining? You got more bodily autonomy, like we still don't have proper bodily autonomy, but we got more, why are you complaining? You got better media representation, why are you complaining? And that, these Mm -hmm. waves feed into it, this concept of like, here is a neat period of time where things happened, so we can put that box away and move on to the next issue. And like you were saying, it means that this idea of like, attaining the right to vote that's finished that's over with why do we need to think about that anymore of course we still need to keep thinking about that because like you said who the hell are we voting for um we don't need feminism because i'm no longer my husband's (laughs) property cool that happened Mm -hmm. in like 190 something but what year did it become illegal for a husband to to rape his wife 96 oh it was it was 80 something 86 Mm. Yeah, like I think I was, Mm. I can't remember, it was in the 80s because I remember being like, oh, cool. So I was like three. (laughs) And obviously just because something's made of law doesn't mean that it doesn't happen anymore. It's a Linking back to our first discussion, just because a law has been made about something doesn't actually mean we're going to be able to hold people accountable in a court of law for doing the thing because laws are written to uphold what? The patriarchy. Capitalism colonialism white supremacy yeah all of our old friends have come to the party all of the things old mate capitalism in the corner over there yeah. having a cheeky one with adam smith no worries <laughs> sorry i don't know why i just went full bogan like, enjoyed it <laughs> spending too much time with my family in gippsland <laughs> <laughs> i mean i'm just waiting to listen back to this and niche linguistics nerd hear my queensland vowels come out again now that i'm around queenslanders more because i hide them when i'm in melbourne i don't do do it intentionally it's a subconscious process that might be why like when i was in england i had a bit more of i had like an english accent Mm. you just adopt it it's called accommodation when you talk like the people around you because you want to be more accepted by them and you want to like feel similar to them accommodation accommodation so uh craig mclaughlin can go fuck himself essentially And I hate him. Justice Belinda Wallington did good things. Mm. Complainants, if any of you happened to, by the very slight chance, listen to this, we we believe you, we stand with you. We're so fucking sorry that you have to exist in the system that you do. And you have our love and respect. And if there's anything that we can do, let us know. Because that's what we need to do as communities. Regardless if you decide to go through the criminal system or not, choices are valid. You'll do what you need to do. And if anyone tries to sue you with a defamation lawsuit, come get me and we'll start doing some yells. Because I think that we're in a... We're in a political climate right now where there's enough people talking about it and enough people interested in these defamation laws, not just activists on the street, but also people within the system that are just like, you yeah, know, it's this totally fine. links back to something you were saying much earlier, that like we keep getting distracted by little fires and we're, f- we're getting pulled away from the big issues and the system is constructed to do that. I learned this when I was learning about diet culture and how a lot of the theorists about like fat positivity and diet culture talk a lot about how this is a product of the patriarchy that is built to distract from 
pulling down the patriarchy. That's one of the reasons diet culture exists and this focus on appearance. And it's the same with all of these issues we come across. And like you said, feelings are valid. We're allowed to be angry. We absolutely should go through anger at every single one of these events. But we need to some... Oh, like you said earlier, we should be angry and... We need to find better ways to collectivize and come together afterwards and be like, how do we stop this from happening again? What are we going to do as a collective to let the system know this isn't okay anymore and we're done? Yeah, because like the anger only gets us so far. So we need to figure out how to actually channel that anger into something that's positive. So we'll just finish on this quote by Toni Morrison from 1975, once again proving my point black women and women of color have been talking about this forever. The very serious function of racism is distraction. It keeps you from doing your work. It keeps you explaining over and over again your reason for being. Someone says you may have no language and so you spend 20 years proving that you do. Somebody says your head isn't shaped properly so you have scientists working on the fact that it is. Somebody says that you have no art so you dredge that up. Someone says that you have no kingdoms, and so you dredge that up. None of that is necessary.